morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart, and part of our family is Big Sandy Camp. And uh, I just want to say welcome to uh, to Dave, his wife. It's great to have you here today. Welcome, welcome. Isn't that a great uh, um, presentation that Dave had regarding Big Sandy Camp, and uh, especially to what Pastor Joel shared and how that was so impactful in his life. Every family has some kind of brokenness that needs healing. Every family. I have a brother, Nehemiah had a brother. My brother's name is Lorne. Nehemiah's brother's name was Hananiah. Nehemiah had a question for his brother. This is my paraphrase, Nehemiah 1-2. He said, tell me, Hananiah, about the remnant of our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Tell me about Jerusalem. What does it look like? And as he hears the report, you remember what he does? He breaks down and he cries. When Hananiah tells him about the condition of Jerusalem, and what made Nehemiah cry was the report about the walls and the gates. The question I have is, why would that invoke such emotion? It's just physical things. Why would broken walls and burned gates make a grown man like this break down and sob? And that's what he did. He fasted and he prayed. Because it was more than just a physical wall. Those walls and gates mirrored their lives. The people themselves were in great trouble, and the word says they were also in great disgrace. As brothers, Lauren and I talk about the spring training, the Minnesota Twins, and hopes revived again. They said, hey, I, I checked out the new stadium, the Viking Stadium. That's going to make them a winner for sure. And if that's all that we talk about, it's meaningless chatter, right? But at the end of our conversation, we talk about our own walls. We talk about some gates. We don't always give each other a lot of advice. One of the things that that we often end our conversation in is this. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. That's what loving families do. That's what we should do for each other right here at Gateway Church. We're a family after God's heart. Nehemiah was a leader that God used. God uses leaders to help us rebuild. That's the way he does it. Therefore, we need godly, strong leadership in operation to see us through this rebuilding process. Whatever needs to take place in our lives, it's because a Nehemiah has come alongside you and has helped you. And many of you are going to be that. You're going to be Nehemiahs. You're going to give insight and direction and encouragement. 
Nehemiah was a godly leader, a man of integrity and character. We can't underscore enough the value of leadership in every sector of our lives. So here's the take home. I'll give it to you on the front end. This message is going to be about leadership. Lessons in leadership. Three invaluable insights that are essential if the walls in our lives are going to be rebuilt. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. It reads this way. I love this passage. It's a great passage. I love Nehemiah. I went to Jerusalem. Remember the context? He couldn't just go to Jerusalem. He had to be sent to Jerusalem. He had to get the okay. He was the, what do you call that guy? Tasted the wine. Wine taster. You know, cupbearer, that's it. Cupbearer. Tasted the food, the wine. King Artaxerxes. But he prayed. Four months it took for him to get an answer or for the opportune time for him to say, send me. He was broken down. The king sees sadness on his face and says, what is this sadness of heart? And then Nehemiah just shares everything that's inside his heart. And he gets more than he could ask for. He gets everything that he asked for plus more. He gets a you know, an army almost. He gets money. He gets materials, provisions. And finally, he's there. I went to Jerusalem, 900 miles away, two months to get there, and after staying three days. What did he do in those three days? He was silent. He was in solitude. Verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I didn't come in with the trumpets blaring. I didn't get off my stallion and say, hey, I'm your leader. I'm here to save the day. you got to follow me. He didn't do any of that. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on by night. I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate. Isn't that interesting? It's exactly in your mind. That's what it is. That's where they dumped the garbage. And that's where Nehemiah, the leader, was at. He didn't bypass that part. Hananiah told him. But as a leader, he had to inspect and and examine the walls for himself. That's what I did. I examined the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been burned and destroyed by fire. Then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room. This is how bad it was for my mount to to get through. So he had to get off his horse. I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet, 
I didn't say I'm here to save the day. I didn't say anything to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who wished who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, the opportune time. You see the wall that, you see the trouble that you're in. Is that what he said? No, he said we. This is the, the, the trouble that we're in this together. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let me, no, let us, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. He sent me. And this is God. I'm not here because I could make it on my own. God sent me. They replied, let's do it. Internally, intrinsically motivated. They began this good work. But when Samballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing? They asked. Are you re rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Lord, I ask that you would, you would speak to our hearts today. Thank you for the sweetness of your presence here with us, God. You want to carry on to completion the work that you started in our hearts this morning. As we worshiped you, God, you were speaking to us. You were encouraging us. Give us something from your word to take home that will make a difference today, God. I pray in your name. Amen. Nehemiah was a natural-born leader. Leadership comes easily for some because they're born with that talent. As I look out here, I can see some of you who are natural-born leaders. How do, you, how do you figure that out? How do you know? Well, it comes early in life. It starts in the elementary grade. I witnessed it. Many of you, as boys, witnessed the way leadership comes to some people who just have the talent. They're the ones that organize the dodgeball. They get, they get the, the, the bag of balls. They say, you're on this team, you're on that team. Here are the rules. And when there's a little bit, you know, argument going on, they're the ones that set the record straight. They're the leaders. When I was in elementary school, I was put on a team. I was put on a team, AU. 
you go there. It was like, yes, sir. I'm a pretty good dodgeball player in, in my day. Nimble, quick. I mean, I, it was hard when I took the shot, though. Some of those balls were going like 90 miles an hour. A little guy like me, it's like I took it for the team sometimes. Paid for it. But I was put on a team. I didn't know it, but God had another plan brewing in my life. God was calling me to be a leader. He just had to convince me. Jesus had my heart as a teenager. I know that God can get a hold of a youth's heart because God got a hold of my heart as a kid. And it was only a matter of time because God had my heart. It was only a matter of time when he would convince me that, Paul, you're a leader. Well, how do you do that? I don't know how to be a leader. I don't know anything about it. There's different styles of leadership. I had to learn. I would say my style of leadership is this. And I thought about it this week. I mean, I love this about the Lord, how he speaks to us, how he encourages us. Here's my style of leadership. Learner, leader, in that order. <laughs> Learner, leader. Takes me a little bit longer. But I learn from the Lord. Here's my, my, the greatest leadership book that there is, is right here. I just get into this book and read it and, and discover there's some, there's some guys in the Bible who weren't born leaders, but who became leaders because God's call was on their life. I just look those guys up. I follow what they did. Try to pray like they prayed. Get the courage that sometimes needs to get stirred up in my heart. I learn from other leaders. I take notes. I learn from you. Those of you who are natural born leaders, when I'm with you, you don't know this, but I'm taking notes. I'm saying, wow, I, could, I can learn. Growing. Gonna learn from Nehemiah. I learned from experience. This is the hard way to learn leadership. It's called what? The school of hard knocks. When I stumble in leadership and I have and I will, here's how I want to stumble. I want to stumble forward. I don't want to give up a good lesson. If I fail, I want to fail forward. I want to say, okay, I'm not going to try to do that again. Note to myself. I learned from all of these encounters. If you were to ask, 
Is there one event that early in your ministry shaped your leadership? I'd say, yeah. You might find this humorous. But this is where I became a leader. Right here. <laughs> Look at how young Ken Mitchell looks there, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> this is where I learned leadership. Before this, guess what? I didn't know a thing about leadership. I was clueless. This was the first team that I led, Ken, he and I together. I led this team to Monterey, Mexico and back. My job, my mission was to get them there, do ministry. You, you don't do this this way anymore. It just doesn't happen. Talk to Pastor Joel. But in the day, this is how we did it. I, I, when I look at this picture, I, I almost start crying because of all the people there. Chad Wright, where's Chad? Is Chad here? Chad's in that picture. He's in the back row, right there. Mike Voida, is Mike here? He's in there. Mike's here. Mike, you see you? You're there. <laughs> Second of the last row with the, what do you call that, mullet? <laughs> there it is. Ann's laughing. She's just, she's rolling back here. You're not going to believe where, I'm, where I am in this picture. I had to just show this picture. For those of you who, who look at me and don't know me, I was not bald all the time. I had hair. That's me, blonde hair. I, you know that's not, you're saying that's not, that is me. And how you know is I'm holding a Coke can. This is the bus. Somebody's checking the, the U-joint, the tires. Some dad. <laughs> Doesn't trust my leadership. It's like, you Sam Bella, get out of there. No. <laughs> I had to lead this, this group. This is where I learned leadership. I learned how to pray, how to build a leadership team, how to motivate people and cast vision, how to recruit, how to prepare in advance, how to study and teach Bible studies, how to organize, how to work through conflict or resolution. It was all right there. How to raise funds, how to work on a budget, how to persevere and stay the course how to stay positive when there's no air conditioner and you're in Texas and you're sweating and you're thinking, oh, this is crazy. How to stay positive. A couple stories. Remember pulling into Laredo, Texas. It's a border town, right on the border. And we were tired, hot, hungry, smelly. I mean, just almost disgusting. <laughs> Getting out of that bus. This is 
Ken remembers this little white chapel. I was like, I didn't remember this was on the itinerary. We're staying here tonight. And I looked back there and I saw those kids coming off that bus. And I could tell they had one thing in mind. And that's just where the shower's at. We've got to take a shower. There's no showers. I didn't want to break that news to them. There's just, I could tell there's no showers here. It's like, what are we going to do? Here's the leadership trial. It's like one of the first. What am I going to do? I got mutiny on my hand. These kids don't get cleaned up. There's the garden holes. <laughs> They're hot. I said, get your swimming suits on. And while you're getting that swimming suit on, grabbed a bottle of shampoo and a bar of soap. We probably killed all the grass. <laughs> right there in front of that little church, they got all shampooed up and clean. They, they, they came out looking pretty good. And then we went over to one of those old country buffet kind of places and, and ate dinner and then came back. And Pastor Claire... Can you remember him? He was blind. We went into that little church. He sat down at the keyboard and just began to play some old hymns. We listened as he played those hymns and we sang, got down on our knees and prayed, and we were ready to go into Mexico. And what a trip it was. And after that, four other youth groups joined us. We had two big buses going down. It's just a powerful time. That's where I learned how to be a leader. Right there. I mean, and if you're not happy with it, something went wrong on that trip. We got to go back and check it out. We had fun, had lots of fun. Went to a bullfight. We were passing out New Testaments. I saw this, this uh, flyer, and it was the bullfight, authentic bullfight. And we went. I asked the guy, hey, can we go? He kind of scratched his head. I don't know if we should. We ended up going there. And it was, we couldn't believe it. It was really matador. Versus the bull, whoever ends up alive wins. Miguel, I didn't know that. We went. The guys were cheering. They couldn't believe it. The girls were crying. <laughs> Conflict resolution. I had to figure out what are we going to do. I wanted to stay because the best matador was at the end. We compromised. After three sessions, we, we went back, but we had a lot of fun. Whatever your leadership style, the goal is the same, to help people intrinsically own the, the vision that they would be motivated internally. So what can a guy like me that learns 
about leadership from Nehemiah. What can we learn quickly? Lessons in leadership. Number one is this. Investigate before you initiate. We read the story. Go back and reread the story. That's what Nehemiah did as a good leader. He didn't come riding in on his horse once again saying, I'm going to save the day. He spent time investigating. And then he initiated a plan. He spent time in solitude. Spent time in silence. He plainly defined the problem and simply stated the solution. I want to say that again. Nehemiah plainly defined the problem and simply stated the solution. Secondly, motivate people to cooperate. In my Bible, I've circled three vitally important words in verse 17. You can go back and, and look at that verse. I circled we, us, we. In order for Nehemiah to motivate the people to do the work, he had to identify himself with the need. He didn't say, you folks got yourself into a bad mess. You rebuild that wall. If you need me, I'm in my office. He owned the problem. Who wants to own a problem? Well, good leaders own people's problems. They make their problem my problem. If you're a good leader, that's what you do. Parents do that. Nehemiah made their problem his problem. When you cast blame and criticism, you squelch motivation. But when you identify with the problem, you encourage motivation. Two kinds of motivation. Extrinsic, which is probably most commonly used. Why? Because I said so. That's why. Or intrinsic. It appeals to the internal part of a person. That's the goal. Mom, dad, pastor, small group leader, marketplace minister, to lead people in such a way that they actually want to do something because they're being motivated from within. The kids were saying, this doesn't work. This Spanish phrase sheet that we're supposed to, to say when we hand out the New Testaments or the Bibles to the Mexican people. We, we don't know the Spanish. Buenos dias, buenas tardes. We were saying good morning when it was in the afternoon. We, we stumbled our way through the Spanish sheet, couldn't hardly say a word. The kids were getting tired and hot, thinking, we don't want to do this anymore. Well, what was I going to do? Hmm. I could tell them, hey, you got to do this because that's what we said we we're going to do. No. 
That'll never work in the long haul. Let's get Rebecca Balderas, who had just a few years earlier had been saved because someone from the United States came with a Bible and stumbled through their Spanish. She read that Bible and gave her life to Jesus Christ, and today she's helping prostitutes in the red light district in Amsterdam. All of a sudden, these kids are saying, I want to go and do this. Because they were what? Internally motivated. Third lesson. Expect some kind of opposition. Never fails. Verse 19, you can read about it again. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, held their heads high, looked down their noses, scoffed at that little group of Jews, saying, you're out of your minds, you'll never be able to do it. Listen. And I end with this. Part of the unwritten job requirement for every leader is the ability to handle criticism. That's part of the leadership package. If you never get criticized as a leader, you're probably not leading. It's not easy to get criticized. But a wise leader will evaluate the opposition in light of the spirit and attitude in which the criticism is given. If your critics listen to God's voice, we better listen. But Nehemiah knew this wasn't the case. We're going to talk more about those guys in the coming weeks. So let's wrap everything up real quick. What's the one thing that you can take home today to make a difference in your leadership? Maybe you need to become part of the problem. That's hard. But before you can motivate anyone to do anything, you got to get on their side. We, us, together. Try using those words. See what happens. It just might work. And then it's, you can build a wall. You can build a wall. You can help someone move from disgrace to grace by owning their problem, making their problem your problem. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the team to come. Here's how we're going to wrap up today. When, when I conclude praying, that'll be our official time to just be dismissed. So if you have kids, you can go and get the kids. You can go get some coffee. You can hang out. If you want to stick around here and just worship the Lord, you know, we want to encourage you to do that if that's what you want to do. If you want to grab your kids, come back in and worship, you can do that. But uh, we're going to pray, and uh, after we're done, 
Um, let the Lord speak to all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we want to take something home with us that makes a difference. So help us grab onto that one thing. Jesus, thank you for leading us. We worship you. We love you. Thank you for your word. Amen.